0: That's how I was as an athlete. Like, I did not enjoy the training aspect at all until afterwards. Um, I wasn't this kid that was just like, ah, I get to lift today. This is amazing. But I understood, like, it was for a reason. And I didn't hate going to the weight room. So I think that is a, a huge part of getting them to – we talk about buy-in. just getting them to buy into what you're trying to do. I tell them all the time, I'm like, I fully understand that I am not the fun part of sports. I coach you in the part that a lot of y'all don't want to do.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. I can't tell you enough how much it means to me that you're tuning in for another episode. And I also can't believe how much this community has grown since episode one debuted with my high school baseball coach just six months ago. Since you're a loyal listener, I know you're already signed up as a free member of the club. You're receiving the weekly newsletter straight to your inbox every single Wednesday morning, and hopefully you're reading it. But for anyone hitting the play button for the first time right now, go ahead and scroll down. You don't even need to pause. And hit the link down in the show notes to join the club. And if you feel so inclined, maybe even leave a rating or a review on whatever platform you're using to bring this audio into your earbuds. Thank you for being part of the club, and a huge thank you to Netting Pros for sponsoring a group of amazing podcasts, plus this one right here too. (laughs) You already know, netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. They specialize in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for baseball, softball, football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and so much more. They also design and install graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, and dugout cubbies. Netting Professionals continues to provide quality products and services to many recreational, high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, which shockingly is nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. I'm telling you, if you go check them out, you're going to be amazed and you're going to want to get a hold of them next time you have a big project that you need done. Huge thanks to Will and the gang at Netting Pros for powering up this episode of the High School Coaches Club with George Adams, the strength and conditioning coach at Madison Ridgeland Academy in Madison, Mississippi. Coach Adams shares some awesome insights into how he trains student athletes, tries to make the weight room a place where kids actually want to be, because we all know that's not usually the top of their list, and what you can do to help your players perform better in competition. Let's get it rolling. It's the quarter century episode number twenty-five
0: with George Adams.
1: All right, I'm joined here by George Adams. George, thanks for popping on.
0: Nah, absolutely. I appreciate the invite.
1: So I, I want to start with this because we were just talking about this before we jumped on. Um, your daughter was born uh, February twelfth, right? So just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, how has that changed your life?
0: Man, it's been it's been a wild two weeks. Um just as far as, like, priorities change and, like, you're not not spending just timeless, like, minutes sitting up at work or, you know, and back and forth. You're like, man, I got to get home. So uh, it's, it's changed a lot. It's been good. Um, obviously, if people got newborns, I'm sure they've they've been through it and they understand it. But it's it's definitely different. So I didn't – a lot of people, they talk about, you know, like, it changes. And I was like, ah, maybe. Like, it'll change eventually. But it kicked fast, and it was almost immediate. Like that, you felt that shift. It's wild.
1: I had a, when so our son's—he'll uh, be 19 months old here in a couple of days. And uh, when I we first had him, maybe a couple of weeks in, uh, a guy I know—we uh, were kind of talking to him, and he goes, "Isn't it funny how how quickly you realize how selfish you used to be <laughs> before you oh, had a
0: kid?" No doubt. That's a great way to put it.
1: And uh, anyway, so anyway, your daughter just just a fun little fact has the same birthday now as my wife does. So there you oh, go. That's what
0: I'm talking about? It's a good day. <laughs>
1: there you go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's dive in. I know uh, having a kid changes things, and time becomes a, a, a strange thing. You almost <laughs> feel guilty when you're away from your kids. So uh, let's do this thing. So uh, can you take me back to high school? Where'd you go to high school? What school was it? What sports did you play? Bring yeah. me
0: back. Year, I went to uh, I'm from Clayton County, Georgia. I went to Lovejoy High School uh, up until my junior year, and during my junior year, we went through some county stuff. Our county lost accreditation, and then I ended up transferring to a small school, uh, Our Lady of Mercy High School. Transferred there, um, all through. I played football, um, all four years of high school, and I played golf. Um, I wish I would have listened to some of my coaches and played something else besides golf, but uh, being you know, 15 to 18 years old, you got it all figured out. So, um, but those are two sports I played, grew up there, um, born and raised in Clayton County, Um that's home. So it gets a little bit of a bad rap every now and then, but but it's still home, still holds a good good spot in my heart.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. So are you any good
0: at golf? Uh, used to be, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> one of those things where you, like, the whole, uh, if you don't use it, you lose a thing. And that's, that's definitely what happened with my golf game. Stopped playing through college, just didn't have time uh, with football there and then uh, just kind of fell away from it. I'll pick up a club every now and then and feels good until I start playing.
1: <laughs> it's true. Golf. I, I So I've I've never been good at golf. So I never had to lose it because I never had anything to lose. <laughs> but I was just think like, yeah, the I don't th- I think I broke 90 one time in my life. Otherwise, it's just we're just out there having <laughs> we're just hitting balls and having fun. Yeah, and not taking it too life. seriously. Exactly. Oh, man. So uh, after high school. Um, Obviously, things have happened. Now you're at Madison Ridgeland Academy. Can you take me through that process? What happened after high school, and how'd you end up where you are today?
0: All right, so we'll hit like the streamlined version of it. Uh, I went to Methodist University in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Played football there for four years. Uh, Had a really good time. Uh, Won a conference championship our senior year. Uh, So we went from two and eight my freshman year to eight and two my senior year. So that was a a really big turnaround there, was a lot of fun, had a good time. Uh, After I graduated, I I went into school wanting to be a PT. Uh, And then my sophomore year, I had a pretty extensive hip injury, had to go through a bunch of rehab. And through talking with my physical therapist, realized I didn't want to be a PT anymore. So just figured I'd coach football. um, And then I fell into the strength conditioning just by kind of happenstance. Took a class. I think it was my junior year, and I think it was titled something like Intro to Strength Conditioning or some basic phrase like that. And I was like, "Man, this is pretty cool," and uh, enjoyed it. I ended up doing an internship my second semester of my senior year, essentially a elongated interview at my at my alma mater there at Methodist because um, I wanted to coach. So, ended up working underneath Andrew Christie. Uh, he's now at a high school in Georgia. Worked under him. Uh, really enjoyed the, the strength and conditioning process of it. Was really enjoying the football process. Ended up going to uh, my first internship at Southern Miss here in Mississippi, and enjoyed it. Had a good time. Got offered a job at my at Methodist. Went back. Was the assistant DB coach and the assistant strength coach. Uh, but really fell in love with the strength and conditioning aspect of it. And that's kind of where that took off. So from Methodist, I went to Marshall. From Marshall, I went to Marshall was football. From Marshall, I went to the University of Georgia on the Olympic sports side of it. And then from Georgia, I went to the Minnesota Vikings and worked an offseason internship there with the strength conditioning staff. From there, I moved home for a few weeks because there's a weird hiring window and then ended up getting a job at Embry-Riddle in Daytona, Florida, which was a lot of fun there. That was working with Olympic sports. From there, I went back to Georgia, got my GA, um, got that that master's paid for. That was really good. And then from Georgia here to Madison, uh, Mississippi.
1: It's awesome. A lot of what sounds like a lot of fun stops, which gives you kind of probably a wide variety of, of experiences to, to back it to kind of, Rest on. Uh, I looked at that. So Embry Riddle Aeronautical University.
0: What is that? A lot of really smart kids. <laughs> uh, like they they had a shirt there, and it the shirt literally said it is rocket science. And I mean, we would be. I'd have athletes be like, "Hey, coach, I gotta. I got this flight block, so I'm not gonna be at lifting today." And that was something when I first got there. They were like, "Hey, uh, if they come to you and say they have a flight block, it's no questions <laughs> asked. Like you send them and." I'm like, yeah, all right, sounds good. And it was a wild experience because it's one of those times where the kids are so analytical. I mean, everywhere you go, you kind of have some of those kids. But almost every kid was crazy smart going through, like, astrophysics classes. And I got – some of them are private pilots. Some of them are commercial pilots. Some of them are working on designing airplanes. It's crazy, crazy smart kids. So. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it sounds like it. No kidding. So obviously now you're, you're at Madison Ridgeland Academy. You're the head strength and conditioning coach uh, for someone like me who knows nothing about MRA. Can you kind of give me the rundown on it?
0: Yeah, so it's in Madison, Mississippi, uh, just outside of Jackson. Me and my wife and little girl actually live in Jackson. I'm um, probably only about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe depending on traffic uh, away from the school. So it's really close to the kind of the hub, It's a K through 12 school. And in the high school, there's about 100 kids in each grade, but it comes out to where we're one of the biggest schools in one of the biggest private schools in the state. So there's a public school organization and a private school organization, and we're in the highest private school uh, classification. So one of the one of the bigger private schools, uh, we got. It's one of the cool places where you're, you pretty much work with every kid because the large majority of kids play a sport. So I come come across them a little bit, no matter what.
1: That's cool. So you're getting interactions with everybody. I know at uh, our our school, we're at a big public high school. There's around 2000 kids in there. And so uh, on any given day when I'm in the hallways, uh, I'll, I'll know maybe like 5 to 10% of the kids.
0: It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> yeah, we do not have that problem at, at MRA. You pretty much see everybody, even the kids that don't play sports, you learn who they are. You talk to them. They come in the weight room just to say, hey. Uh, so it's a, a pretty cool gig.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a good one. You, you mentioned you live 15 to 20 minutes from school uh do you do you spend that time as you're driving to and from school listening to podcasts are you listening to music what's your go-to kind of commute time like
0: uh kind of depends uh sometimes it is a podcast and i'll jump on and listen to a wide range of stuff and then sometimes it is music like i've i've never been musically inclined i can't play an instrument i can't read music but i love listening to music um that's pretty much my my wife will come in and there'll be nobody awake or anything, but I'll have headphones in listening to music and uh, it's kind of a, an easy way to get away for me. So I wish, I wish I could play an instrument. That'd be really cool, but I've just never, never been exposed to it. I guess.
1: I played a cello in fifth and sixth grade cause it was required and I was really bad at it. So it worked out. Okay.
0: Yeah. I, I've,
1: I've learned those. Like I live about, Oh, I got, probably five minutes or 15 minutes, depending on traffic on any given day from my school. Exactly. And since having a kid, I found that to be like a really nice, like wind down time from school of like yeah. all the excitement there. I can listen to music or a pod- it usually ends up being music really. Uh-huh. And then, uh, get home and then ready to be dad at that point. But it's, yeah. it's kind of a nice time to have 15 to 20 minutes. Sounds really good.
0: Yeah. And it's been, it's been nice. I heard early in my coaching career, one of the guys I worked under, he, uh, he said use that time to kind of detach from work. And he said sometimes he would just stop places and walk around for a little bit if it was a, a hard day or something like that so he didn't take it home with him. And I've tried to, tried to carry that over since being married. And it's a little different, like go from being single, then being married, then having a kid. Now I definitely don't want to bring anything home. So use that time, like you said, to kind of zone out. And I think it's a, a good way to detach a little bit.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely has been for me. I know that. Um, so getting into MRA. So uh, it's it's interesting talking to different coaches and especially strength and conditioning coaches because all across the United States, it's so different what a strength and conditioning coach does. So to give you an example, here in Oregon, um, most teams or sorry, most schools, high schools don't really have a strength and conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. Usually there's a PE teacher who teaches you know some weights classes. Sometimes they'll be certified, sometimes not. Um, and then it's kind of usually left up to individual coaches if they want to do anything before or after school. Um, and, and it varies with different schools. And so with you being at a, at a private school, that obviously also opens it up to different things because maybe you're not constricted to what some of the public schools might hire or whatnot. So um, just as the strength and conditioning coach at MRA, what does that job actually mean?
0: So I'm fortunate enough, I work with kids from seventh grade to 12th grade. And this is my second year here. So every year it tries to evolve a little bit, obviously. Like I don't, I don't ever want it to look exactly the same as it did the year before. Uh, So seventh, 12th grade, obviously with the majority of my job being varsity sports, um, kind of the primary and then junior high after that. And then my seventh grade kids after that. Um, But throughout the day we have athletic periods and that's when I get my seventh, eighth, and ninth graders, so I'll get them for about fifty minutes every day. And so right now with the young kids, we we have them in the weight room three days a week. Um, we teach them basic movement patterns. I get a bar in their hands early. I teach them how to Olympic lift because I think the coordination and neuromuscular adaptation part is super important there because I think if a kid can figure out how to clean and be explosive or snatch and be explosive, then they can learn a lot of other just athletic skills. Uh, So we teach them that and we sprint them two days a week. And those other two days, because that's when they have to practice too. So like right now track is heavy. Um, That's our heavy one. So they'll go to track practice during that time as well uh, on days that we don't lift. And then my junior high kids, it's kind of another level up or a step up with as far as, the intensity of training goes. Um, but they're ve- they're structured very similarly to our seventh grade kids. And then our varsity sports, that's the one that I have either before or after school. Because 10th through 12th grade, their athletic period is all seventh period. And there's no possible way I could have every one of our varsity athletes in a weight room at the same time. So uh, I have teams that go start at 7 a.m., I got teams that I work out after school, um, depending on what time it is. I'll go from football and soccer to baseball. It just kind of a wide range depending on the day. But I'm I'm fortunate enough to get my hands on the large majority of our athletes from seventh to twelfth grade Um, and see them very often. And that's a huge plus for me.
1: Well, it's also a huge plus like for culture too. So you're getting a kid in seventh grade. By the time they're a senior, you're not like you mentioned you aren't having to like teach a kid how to hinge or or snatch or anything like that like you can go so far past that if you're getting them
0: as a 7th grader where you can teach those foundations absolutely and that's that's the biggest thing is that's the goal is one day I won't have to take you know those 3 or 4 weeks at the beginning getting a kid I won't have to take the whole team through this like basic exercise cuz I were I mean at this point my my 10th graders next year will have lifted with me for 2 years going into their 3rd and everybody else as well but my the junior high kids um our junior high kids they do a really good job and they're a really hard-working group so it makes my life really easy they want to get better they pay attention but then it just becomes a part of what we do um like our our softball girls for instance we are we have to play a varsity schedule but the majority of them are sixth seventh and eighth graders but they're just learning like this is a part of what it is and those girls work incredibly hard. And by the time they're to our varsity program, you know, by the time they're sophomores, we're going to be so much further ahead as that program builds up.
1: Do you ever have times where you you have the, the young kids like the seventh or eighth graders around while the like the juniors and seniors are around too? do they ever
0: overlap in the weight room at any time? Uh, because of the way our athletic periods are, they don't um they'll walk through sometimes when they're like when school is over they'll walk through or if they have a brother or sister involved in our varsity program they'll just be in there hanging out watching and the the young kids do I'm mean, this is my first like high school middle school experience but they they ask more questions than the varsity kids do they're like coach why are we doing that coach why are they doing this coach why don't we do that <laughs> I'm like I love the questions but I'm y'all have my attention when y'all are lifting, I need to give my attention to these kids right now. And they're like, oh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. They're probably like, why can't we do that lift? Like, let's it, go. Exactly. You haven't Scaffolded it for you yet, young dude.
0: That's
1: hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cool here because you know, again, here in Oregon, like we're so segmented. So, you know, the freshmen come in as ninth graders and you've, for the most part, especially in the weight room, you've never had them before. Right. And so you're having to to teach them from the get go. You have no idea what their background is when they come in. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a lot to get a kid caught up on. And I just think of all that time that you spend and it could be spent like training kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and instead you're having to teach them the basics and foundations. And, um, you know, every year you'll, you'll get some transfers that you'd have to teach that to, but right. I just think of all that lost time where if you're getting after it as a seventh or eighth grader, like now when you get to high school and junior high and whatnot, it's like, it's go time and that Mm -hmm. it makes so much sense.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's nice being at a school that backs a full-time strength conditioning coach. Like, I think I'm one of the few in the state at the high school level that is only a strength coach. So uh, I don't have to teach class. I don't have to coach another sport. Like this is all I do. And it's a, it's really fortunate because, like you said, a lot of times it's a, a coach or a PE teacher that's teaching a weights class or something like that where their effort is pointed towards something else, You know, whether that be football, baseball, basketball. But when you can have a person that's strictly a strength conditioning coach, it helps out the whole athletic department because it takes something else off of that coach's plate that they can focus more towards what they want to focus on.
1: Yeah. It frees up. It frees up their time as a coach, but then also for you, it gives, it gives you an opportunity to spend more of your time staying caught up because the strength and conditioning where, I mean, all we have to do is go back 10 years or 15 years and compare it to now, like Mm -hmm. there are so many advances in strength and conditioning. And if Mm -hmm. you're, if you're a coach who's also teaching all these PE classes and I mean, it would be a lot to keep up and keep track of and stay on top of. And, and then to, make workouts and create workouts and track players and, and, and kids from all these other sports like that's, it's a huge job. And so to me, it just, I've said it before on this, but, but it just makes so much sense for every high school or, or middle high to have a dedicated S and
0: C coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's moving that way, but it'll be really cool when you can like the private schools obviously have a hand up in it mm-hmm. because you don't have to deal with the school board or stuff like that. But when public schools start catching on, and start creating those positions for a strength conditioning coach, I think you'll see the field take another step forward because you'll get out of this mentality of football coaches or basketball coaches, baseball coaches running strength conditioning training. Like I wouldn't want to go out and run a baseball practice. I have no idea what that entails. (laughs) Kind of the same thing the other way is, you know, if you have the ability, why would you not hire somebody that that's what they Enjoy that's what they like doing, um, and that's what they're they're trained to do.
1: Well, it makes a lot of sense because if I'm if I'm a baseball coach and I also am the PE and, and weights teacher, my knowledge and skill set is much more towards baseball, and so mm-hmm. the the things in rotate it would be a lot more rotational based stuff that I have awareness of and know how to do, and I have stayed up to date on. Whereas a lot of other things I haven't stayed up to date on because it's it kind of falls out of my general purview, and so. Uh, Yeah, it just makes a lot of sense. I I hope that's the way that most high schools in the country end up getting. It'll probably take a while to get there, but Mm -hmm. I think it's the right way to go.
0: No, no doubt. I 100% agree. It'd be real nice one day to look up and, you know, when, when my little girls in high school look up and every high school has a strength conditioning coach, like that would be a huge step forward. So I think that's the way it should go. So
1: at MRA, can you kind of describe what your facilities are like in terms of the weight room?
0: Yeah, so we have – we're fortunate um, we have six, 18 uh, racks mm-hmm. or working stations, uh, and they're full racks, so they're double-sided. Fortunate enough, too, that my my administration backs it. So if I'm like, hey, we need this, they're like, all right, let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so like since I've been there, we've been able to get a timing system, which just makes it so much easier uh, as far as, one, being accurate, take the human element out of it and then also you when college coaches come in to recruit kids you know you're giving them a legit time you're not giving them a a little a fast trigger time uh because human error is always going to be there and a fast kid like you're always going to anticipate them being fast so you'll probably clock that kid a little faster um but that that timing system doesn't hold any bias which is nice uh you know bands Anything we've been able to to get since I've been there, it's been super easy, and that's just because of the the administration I work with. They're they're all about moving forward, and they all want to be in front, so that's nice. Uh, I'll have kids, I'll have groups that run from about thirty five to forty is pr- typically my biggest group at one time, unless we get in a situation where multiple teams are coming in there, because it's treated a we run it a little more like a a college program. To where the teams lift with themselves, and it's not like – because I don't have weight classes necessarily, especially for the varsity groups. But they, uh, they're in there, and sometimes it'll get mixed up, and we'll have football and baseball in there at one time, and then it gets a little hectic. But uh, we operate off of the Train Heroic app, which is super nice and allows it a lot of freedom to individualize each sport and each kid when it comes down to it. So we're not ever losing anything. They run it off of their phones. I ran it off of iPads when we first got the system, and we had a lot of iPads getting broken. So I was like, "Man, yeah, let's just run it off the phone." And imagine that we we have a lot less phones getting broken because it's theirs. So <laughs> no kidding, no nobody wants that to happen. So that's been super nice. Uh, I really enjoy that app. It makes my life a lot easier as far as tracking goes and being able to manipulate programs and stuff like that. So that's really nice. Um, have backing from the coaching, which is really nice. I know you're talking about facilities, but sometimes that's just having the backing of the coaches in there. My, my sport coaches are always in there with the varsity kids. That way the kids see that it's important, and that makes my job way easier.
1: <laughs> no Don't get I'm sure it does. The Train Heroic app um... – does that does that allow for you to, like, put in programs for each kid? Like, you'd plug and play, like, this kid, this kid, this kid, and they, like, on their phone, they're, like, logging what they did. Is that how that kind of works?
0: Yeah, so they'll, they download the app. I send them an invite, and then they can see the program. And the awesome thing is I can add kids to a team, and it fast produces that to each kid on that team. And then I can go in, for instance, we got one of our guys right now that's still recovering from a labral tear in his shoulder. And I can go in and make his specific to what he needs and modify what he needs modified. So that makes it super easy. I can do it on a team scale or an individual scale. And then they track it. They log their weight. They log, Hey, I'm not, it has a readiness questionnaire, which is really cool. One of the big reasons why I wanted to get that. It's got a built in readiness. So if a kid over a week is having a really, really crappy readiness score, I can go in and be like, Hey, what's going on? And Hey, it's a, it's midterm week, I'm not sleeping a lot, or I just haven't felt great. I can modify those kids too, to get them rested. Cause at the end of the day, I'm not worried about how much weight they're lifting in the weight room. They're not weight lifters. I need them to be able to perform on the field. So
1: that's really cool. That's an awesome example of using data to help make our jobs so much easier Absolutely. because I mean, it's, it's, obviously during a day you can, you can check in with tons of people, but you never know, they might answer it a certain way. You might ask them and they might not be ready to share something. But if you've got the data in front of you that says, look, this person's been like struggling for the last week, it opens up that door that otherwise might not be opened up. And it just kind of takes that part out of it. And then obviously the accuracy part you're talking about, it brings up a memory of it popped up just a minute ago of of in high school. I remember we had like a, like a post assessment kind of a day. And I remember one of the parts of it was like doing a shuttle run and uh, I don't I, I had long arms, so I felt like I was really good at it and had a good time. And uh, <laughs> I remember we had a substitute teacher that day doing the timing on that side of the gym. And my, I remember my time being like, you know, two tenths of a second slower than I had run it like two uh-huh. months ago. And I'm like, Oh my. And I'm like, uh, I immediately no, like, well, I know why, because, Either the original coach timed me fast or she, you know, maybe this person timed me slow and who knows where the the real deal was. So when you can get like running times that are accurate, it makes a huge difference. And then I just think of as a baseball coach, we use times to uh, like for base stealing and then in game we take times for the opposing team and then we kind of know what catcher and pitcher combinations we can try to seal bases on. And again, the accuracy part plays a role because if I'm timing today, it might be a certain way. And then, you know, if you're timing a guy tomorrow, it might be different. So having an actual timing system is so nice. And then added on top of that for college coaches, you know, if you put a time out there and it, it's really good and then a college coach shows up in person to watch the kid and then they're like, wait a second, this kid's not, this kid's not running that time. And then now you've, yeah. You've just like broken that relationship with that college because Mm -hmm. now you can't be trusted.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think that's a, you know, there's this this fine line with database training or data driven Mm -hmm. training that there's a a fine line to it. You can't, the data can show us a lot, but it can also, like with the kids and the, the readiness questionnaire, it took a long time for my varsity kids to understand, like, I want you to be honest. Like, if you feel like crap, I want you to tell me you feel like crap. I don't want you just answering like, "Oh, I feel great every day" because that's not helping us at all.
1: No, it isn't help at all, and that's that's one of the doors that data opens up. So it's not like you said I think data can get a bad rap sometimes and rightfully so at times for sure, but it opens up it what it can do is it opens doors for you, and I think mm-hmm. that's really important. No, no doubt. So when you're when you're kind of creating game plans for for athletes how do you generally group people together is it based on strength is it based on sports or is it something that i'm not even thinking about
0: we base it on what team is in season at the time or what is the next upcoming season for those kids so we'll have kids that transfer the hardest ones are the ones that go from football to basketball and then from basketball to baseball so that, that one is really tough because then they're never in a true off season, but they always go to the next sport. And that that's really tough. Now it's nice when like my football kids have a little break and then they go into bat or baseball. Like that's easier when a kid goes football, basketball, but doesn't play baseball. Like that stuff is a little easier, but those kids that are kind of the I mean, it's the athletes we all want. But the, the kids that never stop, that never those are the hardest kids to program for because they got to get a, a downtime at some point, and it's just tough to figure out when to get that, how to program for those kids so they can get that rest that they need and getting them to understand how to listen to their bodies. Those are the hard ones. Uh, but we group everything by team. So right now, for instance, in the morning, my, my football guys that don't play – basketball or baseball are with me every morning at 7 15 or 7 a.m and then my baseball kids they lift in the afternoon we're coming up on the end of the season in basketball uh we won a state championship yesterday for our classification and we're going to Okay, all right yeah absolutely it's it's been it's been an awesome season for those dudes they've done amazing and then we go to the overall state championship which is the I think it's the top three, if I understand it right, this is a new thing for me since I moved here, but it's the top three teams from each classification go to the overall tournament. And for us, that is the that is our state championship. That's the one we're aiming for. It's one of those, like, we expect to win the classification. We need to go win this overall. So I know I had a – there was a video posted, and I retweeted it yesterday, and I had a friend text me and was like, why don't your kids look happier? And I was just like, <laughs> this isn't the end for them. They got one more, so
1: yeah, bigger goals.
0: Yeah, so it's been it's been good. But those kids that get grouped up and kind of never have an off season, that's the ones that's hard for um, to group them in and make sure we're still progressing as we need to to get ready for every season, but make sure they're not overtraining as well.
1: What about on game days? There's always that big, I mean, I remember what it was like for me, maybe 15 years ago as a, as a high school kid. And it was kind of the thought on game days was that you lift lights with more reps and things like that, and, and take more time off. Things have changed a little bit, I'm sure. What's the general, obviously it can change by sport, but what's the general kind of idea that you have for game day lifting and how that might change?
0: Uh, I'm a big fan of game day lifting. We did it with our football team this year, and we have great results. from of the guys felt great going out. Um, some of my baseball kids do it right now. And, and it's kind of a – I kind of have a similar thought process with, you know, like ice tubs or heat tubs or anything like that. Is Some kids will feel great from it. And, like, physiologically it makes sense. You know, height and CNS, all of that stuff before the game. There's some carry over there, but some kids feel terrible after they lift. And if they come in on game day and they're like, coach, I'm not feeling very good. There's no need for me to run them into a wall and be like, no, we got to get this in today. Like I'd love for them to get it in, but if they go out and feel like crap and then I make them lift, makes them feel more like crap. And then we perform poorly. Like that's not, that's not beneficial to anybody, you know? So Um, I would love if all of my athletes lifted game day, but a lot of my basketball kids, for instance, they don't enjoy lifting on game day. So I'm not going to have them feel like crap and then move into it. And then they end up performing poorly and then just creates a negative relationship there. So I try to, I would, like I said, I would love for everybody to lift on game day. It's not, it's more about being explosive and priming that nervous system up. But some kids, it's just not – we have a – one of our football guys, amazing athlete, uh, getting recruited. He's going to be able to go to about wherever he wants to. And he comes in on football season and feels great lifting on game day. Loves it. But during baseball season right now, he's like, man, I just do not feel good. And I'm like, all right, let's figure out what's going to make you feel good. And then when if you feel good, then you're going to play good. It's kind of that old, old Deion Sanders thing, you know. feel good good, play good I'm like let's I'm I'm more important or more focused on how they perform rather than hey we got to get this into that
1: I like that it's it allows for individualization I know just like mentally thinking uh as a baseball player lifting on a game day for me personally didn't make a difference like it didn't make me feel worse or anything like that but I, I can imagine just the mental block for a basketball player of like just in my own head thinking, OK, I'm going to do a lot of running going to try to be really explosive. And I could see how that could there could be this kind of
0: mental block of like,
1: ah, I it just it's not going to work for me. It's not going to make me feel good.
0: And then I'm not I'm not going to fight that on game day yeah. because at the at the end of it. That's what's important is them playing good. Uh, I'm not going to. The goal is they'll eventually be like, man, that does feel good. Like I do feel better. And then it kind of let them realize that themselves. And then when they start coming to me being like, hey, coach, can I do something before the game? I felt really good last time. Can I do that same thing? Like Then, you know, that snowball is starting to roll. Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely.
1: And it helps with the relationship with you, too. So you're if like you mentioned, if you like force them, if you're like, no, nope, our policy is, you know, you lift on game days. So let's go figure it out uh that's going to create a lot of animosity because as soon as they are playing in a game and they don't feel good or don't perform well then they're immediately going to be looking to you of like coach adams
0: made me feel this way now i don't trust him exactly and i'm not that is not the end goal you know kind of the what is it the losing the battle win the war kind of thing mm-hmm. i lose a day like that's okay i'm cool with losing a day we just can't lose a lot of days in a row you know what i'm saying
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding, uh, man. So as we as we dive in with this, um, I, I'm just thinking about coaches who, um, like a lot of them, do they they end up kind of being their own strength and conditioning coach for their individual sport, just based on what you know how their school or school district is set up. What kind of resources would you kind of recommend to somebody or or people to follow or anything like that for coaches who? kind of have to build their own programs who might not have a background in strength and conditioning.
0: Yeah. I think one of the, and that's a huge thing, kind of what we talked about earlier is there's not enough schools that have a a strength conditioning coach and are, and that's what their job is. They don't have to coach another sport. So I, I think one of the biggest things is if there's somebody around you that does like reach out to them and see what they do. Uh, I think that's, I try to do that and this is my job and I try to reach out to other people and try to learn something. Uh, there is an organization, that NHSSCA. It's a High School Strength Conditioning Coaches Association. Uh, there's a membership fee, but it's open to anybody. You don't have to have a cert. You don't have to like be a strength conditioning coach, and there's all sorts of resources out there uh, that are available to everybody and uh, how to program, what to look for, when to program things, when not to program. So that's really good. Uh, there's tons of people on Twitter that – do a great job, and uh, Twitter can kind of get a bad rap sometimes. But you can also learn a ton. It's kind of however you approach it. So I'm I'm sure you see that in the the baseball world too. Is you know it can get it can get very petty, but then there's also really good things that can come from it. So people that can that do a good job, and I think the the big thing is when somebody's you know it's kind of those buzzwords like the the people I hate on social media are the ones that are like. How to lose ten pounds in thirty days? Yeah. Like, all right, man. Yeah. Those are buzzwords, and I'm not, I'm not trying to see that. But when you see coaches out there showing what they do, being open with the, what they do, um, open to conversation, I think that's really big. And i I think it's really good just to reach out to people because um, the worst that can happen is they don't respond, and you've already not talked to them, so you're not really losing anything. Yeah, but I, I have found the majority of people are open to talk. And it's kind of how me and you got connected is, is just reaching out and seeing what happens, you know.
1: I think so too, and I think to your point, Twitter is Twitter is going to be exactly what you decide to make it, right? right yeah. Uh, yeah, the there's a kind of a hashtag hitting Twitter thing that gets that used to be really good about four or five years ago, and it kind of I connected with so many amazing coaches through it and I'm friends with them now. And we shared a lot of ideas back and forth, but the actual like hitting Twitter now is just kind of a cesspool and you just pretty (laughs) much block people. And they just, people just have so many negative things to say. So if you know anyone listening, Twitter can be awful, but it is also, um, of any resource that I've ever come across, it remains the top resource. It just, it's a matter of finding the right people through it. Mm
0: -hmm. No, absolutely. And I mean, I found out about my position now, via Instagram well, there you go. So, like a coach on Instagram posted it out there and I responded and here we are you know so it's like you said it's gonna be what you make it and if you get drugged down by the negativity and and I think there's a difference too but like understanding on on Twitter for instance you got 120 characters and if you gotta if you don't agree with something or you kind of getting a back and forth with somebody send them your number and get on a phone call I think that's kind of the best way to, to understand if somebody's actually attacking you personally or just don't want to call and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, where are we missing it? Because you miss tone. You miss so many other indicators via 120 characters. So it kind of, you know, you see back and forth and it's like, you kind of grit your teeth and you're like, they're saying the same thing or like we're saying the same thing, but we can't get across our tone to realize that we actually agree.
1: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And I I just from just from being around Twitter for a little bit, I know the strength and conditioning community is is in a kind of similar standpoint as oh, the baseball okay. one on there where there's some awesome pockets and some wonderful people, but then there's also and they there might not even be strength and conditioning coaches that are part of it. There just might be other people commenting on stuff, but oh man, it can get so toxic with people and you and it's it's hard because as a coach, you want to share stuff that you learn and that you find out and and if someone challenges you on it, it's awesome because like you said, it can open up a conversation where you learn mm-hmm. something. But at the same time, it can be it can be a daunting thing because you know sometimes if you share something that might be a little bit different from what people are used to. <laughs> and, and that tweet gets uh, on fire a little bit then you start getting some people commenting on it and saying some things and it feels like personal attacks and yeah so yeah Twitter can be it can be a rough place but man it's it's an awesome resource
0: yeah and I think it's awesome and i've I've told this to a few people and like everybody can't have an opinion on what you do like people only have an opinion if you let them have it so everybody shouldn't be able to speak into your life you know where there's there's a few people that Uh, for strength conditioning for instance if they're like hey george that doesn't make sense i'm like okay why you know why doesn't that (laughs) yeah and then they explain it i'm like oh okay i see what you're saying now but when you have luckily i haven't experienced this a whole lot but when you just have random joes that you you don't have a relationship with that you don't know who they are they're just commenting on a video or something you said and just kind of let that brush off because it's like those people hold no value in your life, you know. Yeah, no
1: kidding. Uh, let Let's turn and go into nutrition for a little bit because I think it's another. I think I think strength training is the biggest. It's uh, kind of room for improvement for high school athletes because I think uh, I think you can make some good gains by focusing on your sport, but I think nothing will replace getting in a weight room. Similarly, I think nutrition's probably number two on that, maybe even actually number one, really. Uh, but when you're looking at like high school kids or even all the way down to seventh through twelfth graders, doesn't matter. Um, what, what kind of nutritional advice do you give the kids? What kind of conversations do you have about nutrition?
0: And that one's and that one's really tough because, you know, we're not. I see uh, Alan Bishop, the basketball strength coach at Houston all the time, post their training table. And I'm like, that is <laughs> amazing. Like if, if we were able to give that to our kids, like that makes our job so much easier. Yeah. But if we I think with the kids, it's just teaching them good habits because we're not we're not necessarily working with the elite level of kids. that like, we're trying to equip them for life as they go on. And so if we can just teach them good habits, I kind of have a packet that I've built over time and it changes whenever I've realized how to get something across better or something like that. Um, but it changes here and there, but just, it's more so habit changes and lifestyle changes than it is specifics. Now I'm not an RD, uh, I'm not a nutritionist, but I kind of just through school and stuff, you know, you kind of learn these things and study these things a little bit. Now, if I have a kid that has legit issues and you know has all these different things. I refer them to an RD. I'm like, these are good people to go talk to. Like this is outside of my scope. Um, but kids that just need kind of a nudging, I guess. Those kids you can just teach. Like, I tell them all the time, coach, what should I eat? And I tell them, I'm like, stop. Hold on one second. We just started having a huge rainstorm out of nowhere. I'm gonna move <laughs> <to my life. laughs> no worries. Just kind of pops <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a super dope carport, but acoustics are not the best, so especially when it's raining outside. But uh, I kind of tell them, like, I my biggest cue to them is you know, shop on the outside of the grocery store. And when you think about the outside of a grocery store, you know, you got your produce, your fresh meats, your dairies, your fresh break breads, stuff like that, and That's like an easy thing for them to see and be like, oh, that like my I've talked to like eighth and ninth graders and they understand that now they're not doing their own grocery shopping, obviously. But they it's more so teaching them, like I said, life skills and just learning, because if you can catch them the same thing with strength training, if you can catch them early enough there, then these life skills start making more sense to them.
1: I love the, it's true when you go to the interior of the grocery store, that's where you're going to find the cookies, the frozen pizzas, the the chips and all that good,
0: delicious stuff, right? Now I didn't, this is, it's kind of the, the pot calling the kettle black thing is I, I love junk food and not junk food, like sweets. I'm not a huge sweets fan, but fast food for me is my number one, like killer when it comes to nutrition and stuff like that but uh but if somebody would have told me younger or in high school or even in college like how to eat and kind of set those life skills up like how much further ahead and so if we can teach that to the kids now you know we have this epidemic in america with obesity and if we can teach just a few kids a year and help them out Um that, that's a big thing for our, our country and our social world moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think every little bit helps. And like you mentioned, it's kind of creating that foundation. You're you're probably not going to give them a list of here's what to go buy every single day or here's what to tell yeah. your parents to do. And and every kid's different and every person's different in terms of nutrition and what works for their body and whatnot. And like you mentioned, they can go to an expert if they need to. But yeah, I think that, that idea of just giving them that baseline is really important because I think a lot of kids like if I go back to high school, for me, lunchtime was was leaving school because we had an off campus lunch like policy tor- sort of thing. And we were kind of centered downtown. So we could go to McDonald's. We could go to get a, like a giant burrito or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many options of food that um, maybe wasn't the best food to be eating at the time. But as a high school kid, that's uh, what was available. That's what I went and got.
0: Absolutely. I I distinctly remember getting out of school one day early. We didn't have any of those uh like off-campus lunch hours or anything, but we got out of school early and we still had football practice that afternoon. And I remember four four friends, we got in my car, we drove up to the McDonald's, house in McDonald's and went to football practice. And it's you know, you th- I think about it now after, you know, learning and everything and I'm like, gosh, that doesn't make sense. But the thing is High school kids are always going to be high school kids. Yeah. But if we can, like you mentioned, just build that foundation because we're not necessarily building them up for right now. Like some kids will get it and they'll like 100 percent like I'm going to buy into this and this is going to make me feel better. But you're really setting them up long term that way in 30 years, 20 years, they can do it by themselves.
1: Well, that's what makes so much sense. I, I remember in just in high school and how many times I'd have like on my way to the baseball field, cause our, our field was about a, I don't know, half a mile from campus It's kind of bizarre. And uh, it was right next to 7 Eleven. And so I can't, I probably had a Pepsi before every game. And again, like you mentioned, like looking back, like that probably wasn't a very good choice. Like that's probably really stupid. But I was a high school kid. And so that's that's what uh-huh. I did. And I had, you know, I got my own little car and had a license. So I had the freedom to go get a Coke or Pepsi and drink it before the game started and or you know, before I even showed up to the field. And the coach isn't there to stop me. And you know, was yeah, I was just like, think. okay. Um, uh, but yeah, it's what stuff you figure out later in life, and if you can get that foundation as a kid, that's that's awesome. So, I love that. So, switching gears a little bit, um, we've talked strength and conditioning, we've gotten into nutrition, but earlier you mentioned when you were kind of going over the timing system, you mentioned um, sprinting also, mm-hmm. and yeah. I thought it'd be a good time because I think. I think there's a lot of coaches that would. I think almost all of us would love to have our kids be faster,
0: Um,
1: obviously, um, especially, especially at short distances for pretty much any sport. And then obviously some sports for a little bit longer, but, um, there's, there's always been this thought of that, like, you know, you're, you're born with speed or you're not. And so if I'm a slow runner as a sixth grader, I'm just a slow runner. And then that gets ingrained in my head. And that's, that's what I believe for the rest of my life. And it's hard to get out of that mindset, so when you're when you're looking at sprint speeds and, and helping kids get faster, what advice do you give to kids, or what maybe do you do at MRA to help on the speed side?
0: Well, here we use it, or I use it as a training tool more than anything, because um, all it is is an explosive movement done at maximal effort. So try to whether it's our you know our offensive linemen or it's our DBs, or it's our shortstops and our catchers. That's that's probably not the best example for us here, but for a lot of places it's good, is getting faster is getting faster. Now, an offensive lineman is never going to be as fast as a DB, or I hope not. Then that person playing DB doesn't need to be a DB. Um, yeah. But we kind of use it as a, a training tool. We kind of use it as a uh, – like during football season, we timed them once a week. And we ran a flying 10, and we used it as a, a training tool to where, like, we showed the averages got faster and our trends got faster as the season went on. So that's huge. I mean, wh- that means a couple things like we've gotten faster, which is awesome, but more so, we feel good going into game day. And you, you know, the guys are, are feeling good. It goes back to that readiness that we kind of talked about earlier. this is you talk about hitting twitter this is kind of where strength conditioning twitter goes off rails is Mm -hmm. there's some people that live in this like all you need to do is sprint and they kind of push this uh, agenda of like you got to sprint you got to sprint you got to sprint like i agree with you but you can't you can't just dismiss everything else because there's a lot of people that are really fast that can't play sports um because they don't know how to move, they're not strong enough, whatever that may be. So the the sprinting aspect of it, obviously, every coach wants their kids to be faster. And if you can have a fast offensive lineman, that means you got a more athletic offensive lineman. You can do a lot more things. And I think that kind of transfers across the board. Like we want any coach wants their team to be as fast as they can be. Um, I've never I use the the phrase talking to people a lot is. I've never known a faster, stronger athlete that was worse at their sport. So that's always the goal is I, I train them like athletes first and then give them to their sport coach and say, you need to make them a better X player. You know, I'm not, now you take into considerations, obviously for some of our pitchers and quarterbacks, stuff like that. But the large majority of our kids just train like athletes. Then it's,
1: I think it's a really smart way to go.
0: Yeah. Cause you're, especially at the high school level, you know, you got kids, kind of what we talked about playing all sorts of sports. So just make them a better athlete. And then the sport coach has to work those specific skills to make them better at whatever sport that may be.
1: Yeah. I think we get really, really, maybe get our wheels spinning sometimes in, in this idea of individualization. Obviously it's important, but as a, Like you mentioned, if if you're building a better athlete, you can do some things within that that's specific to baseball or football as well. But ultimately, if you're building a better athlete, you're providing them, I hate using the word foundation again, but you're providing Mm -hmm. them that foundation to where they can, as they get into their sport, they can get more specific with their actual sport and the movements and things that they're doing for that. But if you're building a better athlete, you're building, (laughs) eventually they're going to be a better player.
0: Exactly. And that's the goal is, we want them to perform at whatever sport they're performing at. But if we classify these guys, and I think baseball is a really good example is I, I think sometimes people, we kind of, what's the best term for it? Kind of go easy. It's kind of the, the baseball mentality when it comes to lifting weights. Is like, I don't want to get bulky. I want to stay loose. I don't want to get tight. And it's, well, if you keep doing baseball things as you get stronger, you're not going to get worse at baseball. No, if you don't throw for a year and all you do is lift weights, sure, you're going to get tight. But if you keep doing those baseball things and you keep throwing and you keep hitting, you're not going to feel worse because you're never going to. It's kind of like watching grass grow, like you're never going to notice it. Next thing you know, you're just getting stronger. You're running faster, hitting the ball further. You're throwing harder. Kind of everything works together.
1: I think two of the best things that happened for baseball, strength and conditioning wise and for players was, uh, or is, seeing uh, two guys with their shirts off. One is Araldus Chapman, the pitcher, oh, yeah. who looks like, I mean, he is just absolutely yoked and, and huge, and he's throwing, throwing one hundred <laughs> 200, hundred three miles an hour, so it's like, okay, he's – bulky I guess like he's a big big man like you look at him and you're like that's probably a tight end of the football but it's working and he's just thrown gas and then on the on the hitting side guys like Yasiel Puig maybe who again you see we've seen with his shirt off plenty of times cause he likes to rip it off after home runs or whatever <laughs> games. But, and again you're like this guy is absolutely jacked yeah and it's not affecting his his ability to move it's it's complementing it
0: yeah you got Puig you got Trout you got uh, Giancarlo, like those right. dudes are kind of, and I agree with you, like those guys help strength conditioning coaches be like, hey, it's okay to be strong as a baseball player. Like, it's okay. Now, some guys just won't – some guys just aren't gifted to put on masks like that, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be strong, so –
1: yeah, we've fought a lot. Maybe not fought, but we've had players come through over the time, especially pitchers. I'm not sure what it is about pitchers <laughs> that they that I, they just special kids, I guess. I don't know. There's something about being a pitcher, but um, but yeah, they the, uh, the even like a bench press is something. It's something that's been around for a while. Is this this idea that mm-hmm. benching or you know lifting anything that involves your chest is going to make you a worse mm-hmm. pitcher? And it's just like I don't think that's true.
0: Yeah. And I think at the end of the day it comes down to just education. And so there's and there's a lot of people that kind of it's that kind of what you talked about earlier is ten to fifteen years ago, it's like that made sense based on what we knew about strength conditioning and bench pressing and all of that. It's like, okay, like that makes sense. But education has come so far along that we realize it doesn't actually play that big of a role if it's progressed correctly and taught correctly. So educating that foundation, like we talked about, is huge and them understanding like, oh, I can bench press and still throw a ball really hard. One of our strongest kids on the team throws 95. And so I'm like, well, that, <laughs> that correlation and I can use him and be like, all right, look at Nico. Nico's strong. Nico's explosive. It's OK if you're strong. And then the kids are like, oh, that does make sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have a living example right there in your building.
0: Super easy. Makes my life way easier talking to parents or new kids that come in. It's really easy.
1: But again, I hate to keep going back to this point, but it's just another awesome example of why it makes so much sense to have a strength and conditioning coordinator, coach or director, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. them in your building. Because as, as a baseball, there's this, there's this old school versus new school, and it's probably around in every sport. I obviously Mm -hmm. know it from baseball, but the basic premise of, of the idea is that, you know, when you when you played as a, as a teenager, as a high school kid or as a college player, uh, these are the things that we did, how we trained. But then, you know, as a, we come, become a coach and if we keep teaching it that same way for our whole life, that means we're still doing things the way they were done 40 years ago. And mm-hmm. some of that stuff might be awesome and it might be like exactly where it is. But research takes place and we learn new things And so having a strength and conditioning coach, somebody whose job it is, is to stay on top of kind of where the, 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 where things are going and how things have changed that allows that person to be in charge of it, where the coach maybe doesn't rely so much on old, you know, old wives tales about strength and conditioning
0: that turn out maybe not to be so true. 100%. And our, our baseball coach that them and football are my most consistent teams. Um, Our baseball coach is all about the weight room. Now, we do stuff differently now than before I got here. But it's Coach P is all about, he'll be like, why are we doing that? And as long as there's a reason and an answer to the question, he's okay with it. So, And I think that's important for coaching in any arena. Make sure you have a reason. Don't just be like, oh, I saw this on Instagram or I saw this on Twitter. Make sure you understand why you're doing it. Make sure you understand the what you're looking for out of it, because that way, when people ask you, you don't have to get defensive.
1: Well, it goes into like kids too nowadays, like they're the ability to just pop on the internet and look something up. It, it, Mm-hmm. It kind of ends up being a good thing, I think, for everybody because it forces us as coaches to, like you said, to have an answer to the why. Because if I'm a high school kid and you tell me to go do this thing, why? Well, because that's the best way to do it. I can jump on my phone on my way home and look it up and find out information and be like, ah, that doesn't make sense, though.
0: Yeah, and that, that's a great point that I haven't heard before is with as much information as these kids have access to, as coaches, we better make sure we're on our game because we can't just say oh this is the reason why and then a kid pops on youtube or twitter or instagram and like well coach this guy who is the strength coach at x university or whatever says that's a bad idea so what do you say to that and it's got to have your ducks in a row kind of thing
1: yeah no kidding that's true uh, as we kind of getting near the end of this thing, this, this flies by, we're almost at an hour and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it feels like yeah. I've been talking to you for like five minutes. <laughs> um, that's a good thing. I think, uh, I, I kind of want to go here. I, I just want to ask you, uh, you, you've been doing this for a couple of years, but this obviously uh, at MRA, but then obviously you've been around as an intern in, in other roles, obviously like we talked about for quite a while going all the way back to like Southern Miss and whatnot and, and, and even farther. So, during your time as a strength and conditioning coach, or at least in that field, how do you think you've grown, like in what areas have you grown the most just as an SNC coach?
0: I think the biggest one, because we can, as coaches in any aspect, and especially strength conditioning, the science can always back you up. But learning how to communicate, and that's something that's a constant battle for me, is the like you attract more flies with honey than vinegar and understanding how to communicate with people. I think that's huge because when you come off, if you think of like the stereotypical strength coach, that's kind of my goal of what I don't want to be, but instantly that's how people perceive you when they hear you're the, the strength conditioning coach. They're like, Oh, he's going to be, you know, a yeller, a big meathead, all of this. And I'm about performance on the field. And I think field of play, whether that's the court, uh, outside, whatever it is. And I want I want people to understand that. So when a coach, either a coach or a parent at the high school level, you know, that's something that's been new for me to understand is like, well, my dad said he doesn't want me doing this. You know, the first instinct is to be like, well, I don't go to your dad's job and tell him what to do. So, <laughs> but figuring out how to kind of that education thing we talked about is being like, look, I want what's best for your kid too. I'm not trying to put your kid in a bad position, so let's let's talk about it, so you can hear what page I'm coming from, and understand that my heart is in the same position your heart is for your kid. And I think that's the the communication aspect is huge because the the research is good, the the programming is good, but those personal experiences and personal communication uh, I don't even know what to call it intricacies I guess (laughs) take you so much further than just burying your flag in the sand and saying nope I'm gonna die on every hill because this is the way I want to do it
1: well I really like that and it brings up this other thought of when you talk about communicating and your program can be really well designed the research can be great the science backing up can be awesome but also when you're trying to help a kid, I don't know, for instance, you know, snatch or, or learn how to hinge their hips or whatever, it's anything, um, there's also that interaction between you and a kid where you might tell them, you know, cue them in a certain way, and then you watch them then attempt the movement, and they're not doing it you know, correctly, and then having to try to figure out how to communicate with that kid and find a way for them to understand it and do it right.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Like every kid is gonna be a little different. And I try to tell tell my our kids that at MRA is hey, just because I'm coaching this kid doesn't mean you shouldn't listen. Cause that cue may make sense to you as well. And it makes you so much better long term. So don't just kind of push that away. But then that trust that we talked about earlier comes in too is the kid has to know you want what's best for him, him or her. So them understanding that you're going to pick them back up. And I tell my kids, like I'm, a, especially my varsity kids, like, I'm going to coach y'all hard, and y'all are going to get coached hard, but I'm going to pick y'all up on the back end too. And that, that trust component, understanding that they are an individual person that has individual stressors and an individual life story and figuring out how to, how to get to each kid is, I think, a huge thing, especially at the high school level.
1: Yeah. Building relationships at the high school level is probably like 90% of the deal. Like, you know, I mean, if you don't have a good relationship with a kid, it's going to be really hard to get them to trust you. And then if they don't trust you, then obviously (laughs) there's no follow through on what needs to get done for that kid to get better. Um, when I think of a strength and conditioning coach, like there's obviously a lot of work that goes into it and then you're, you're busy, you know, all day long during the school day. But when, competition start how often do you find yourself at games that kids are playing
0: i try to go to as many as i can so football is a little different uh i have a football role on fridays or during our games um so i have to be at that those games but the other games i try to pop in i'm not at every game um you know i have hobbies outside of mra that i enjoy doing and sometimes it just conflicts and i think that's the kind of the balance that you have to find is the kids I want to go watch them perform because that's what they're good at and that's what they want to do I tell them all the time I'm like I fully understand that I am not the fun part of sports I coach you in the part that a lot of y'all don't want to do so I I enjoy going and watching them just enjoy it uh, I know you can learn a lot of things from going to practice and you can learn a lot of things from watching the kids in games and that's all well and good and I understand that but just watching the kids do something they enjoy, I think is huge. Like watching them make a big play in a baseball game or a basketball game or s- score a big goal in soccer. And the more they see you out there, the more they understand like you are out for them. Like You're not just telling them to lift weights or run for the sake of doing it. Like, you actually want to see, see them succeed. And I think that's the biggest part of making sure you hit a few games. You don't have to hit all of them. But you sh- in my opinion, you should hit a few. And that way they they see that you are out for them.
1: <laughs> you mentioning that uh, your part may not be like the most fun part of that I see, yeah. obviously, because the you know, they wanna perform. And I, there there's a coach back on episode twenty one who was a longtime football coach Bob McCauley, and he said Um, I'll probably butcher the quote, but he said something that was basically like my job as a coach is to get you to do the things that you don't want to do in order to achieve the goals that you have for yourself. It's like, I can't think of anything that describes like strength and conditioning more than that, because a lot of that is not it may not be the most fun that we could try to make it fun, obviously, but it's still like the, the work can suck sometimes. And it, it gets hard and it should be hard. And that's how we grow. But, yeah, it's not your your job, maybe not the most fun part of their of their day, especially if they have a game that day.
0: Yeah, I've told a few of my kids, I'm like, look, I just have to get you to where you don't hate being here. Like if I can get you to where you just you're OK with coming You may not love lifting. That's how I was as an athlete. Like I did not enjoy the training aspect at all until afterwards. Um, I wasn't this kid that was just like, ah, I get to lift today. This is amazing. But I understood like it was for a reason. And I didn't hate going to the weight room. So I think that is a a huge part of getting them to, we talk about buy-in, just getting them to buy into what you're trying to do.
1: All right. Last question. You talk about trying to make weight room fun and whatnot. Uh, What's your what's your go to music in the weight room?
0: Uh, We pretty much most of the time operate off of a shuffle on Pandora uh, that has everything from three days grace to pop smoke to uh, kind of 2000s rap. And it's it's a wide variety of stuff. So you get a hard change in music in. In the MRA weight room. So uh, that's kind of what we operate out of. It's just the easiest thing that I found that I don't have to go switch music all the time or kids don't like this song. I'm like, all right, you know you're going to get some rock in there. You know you're going to get some rap in there. You may get country every now and then. And then for, for my varsity teams, if a, sometimes if a senior comes in, especially in season, they're like, Coach, this is what I want to listen to. All right, let's do it. So – more about them getting them motivated to be in there like i can put on what i want to listen to as a coach but it, if it doesn't help them it's not worth it
1: well it's funny because you mentioned how much you enjoy music you know about it at the start of this thing mm. and and you just talking now reminded me of of there are there are definitely songs that i hear from back in the early 2000s when i was in high school and they bring back specific like weight room memories oh yeah um, and it's like, oh, and because we, we kind of probably listened to the same CD like 100 times in a row for over 100 days because Pandora obviously wasn't around then. So yeah. uh, hopefully kids realize how lucky they are today to be able to just have Pandora on shuffle because back, I had to be the back of my day guy, but back in my day it was a, a CD of 12 songs on repeat for probably three
0: years. Yeah, you're going to listen to this one CD or you're going to listen to this one playlist because it took three and a half hours to design a 15 song playlist.
1: Got to listen to Metallica every single time. Interesting.
0: Well,
1: George, I, I, yeah, no kidding. Uh, I had a blast with you. I think there's a lot in here that coaches can take the resources, especially, but then, you know, just the idea of, of strength and conditioning and what you can do for kids. That's it's not it's not rocket science. It's it's something that I think a lot of people can do, even if you don't have a strength and conditioning coach in your school. But also, hopefully this helps anyone like athletic director, district level listening of like, mm-hmm. please uh, plug get strength and conditioning uh, you know coordinators directors coaches that that's their job but uh, before i let you go i just want to kind of hand the mic over to you and let you finish off if there's any any advice for for coaches any uh parting thoughts anything maybe that we we should have maybe covered but didn't whatever you want to go totally up to you but just kind of hand the mic over to you to close us out
0: Yeah, i think one of the biggest things i kind of talked about is just reach out to people Uh, i think if if COVID did nothing else for the coaching community, a big one is just understanding that everybody is a, a DM away, a phone call away, whatever that is. I think that's super important and then kind of my my life advice to people is be a good person, don't do dumb things that pretty much covers the basis of it so, uh, I think those are those are things that everybody can can kind of strive for and that'll make our society better, especially with how polar it is right now.
1: I love it. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I hope you are finding ways to get some sleep with a two week old daughter and okay. finding ways to stay alive out there. So uh, George, thank you so much for being on.
0: No, I appreciate it. I appreciate the invite.
1: Oh, just a dude full of passion for what he gets to do every day. And once again, an excellent example of the athletic culture schools can build if they find a way to fund a full-time strength and conditioning coach And I think we're going to see more and more high schools moving to that model. And the reasons are obvious, as Coach Adams helped point out. Huge thanks to George for carving out some time. And it's not an easy thing to do with a two week old kiddo. I can promise you that. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for tuning in. Once again, if you haven't joined the club as a free member yet, what are you waiting for? It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll be part of the premier national organization of high school coaches, trainers, administrators, parents, players, and more. And you'll get that weekly newsletter in your inbox every Wednesday. You can find that link down in the show notes. Next week's newsletter is the second in a series devoted to tryouts, cutting players, and the dreaded parent email. Don't forget to leave a rating, maybe even a review. And if you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr. Max Price, and can reach me via email, that's max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. You're awesome, you matter. Thanks for everything you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.